Hi, everyone. So happy you're joining us in this online liturgy. And I would like to welcome all of you, uh, wherever you are at in your own spiritual journey. I mean, think about this. Uh, have you ever read a, a book or watched a movie and then something happens at the end that makes you look back at everything that happened before and you think, oh, now it all makes sense. Well, I really hope that happens today in a way that will encourage you wherever you are at in your spiritual journey. Because regardless of why you decided to hop online today and join in with us, I don't believe it's an accident that any one of you is here today to hear this story that has the power to change your life. We're in the second week of Advent, and we're in a teaching series we're calling Preparing for Jesus. And in this season of waiting, I know that many of us are experiencing some sort of pain as we walk through this season. You know, our world breaks, uh, families fracture, uh, bodies fall apart, uh, hearts shatter, and it's all around us. And it doesn't stop at Christmas, does it? I mean, new diagnoses or a, a miscarriage, uh, abandonment, job loss, isolation, anxiety, rising depression. And yet, God doesn't stay far off, distant from our pain. He enters it with us. And the wonder of Christmas is that Jesus left heaven to enter our hurting and fractured world. Really, the spectacle of Christmas is that the fractured and hurting is actually right there in Jesus's family tree. I mean, when we turn to the last pages of Malachi into those silent centuries, we eventually come to the New Testament in a book called Matthew. And Matthew starts with a list. Now, I know we're all thinking it. A list? Really? I mean, if you're like me, to be honest, I usually like to skip over those uh, parts, most, mostly because I can't pronounce half the names. But I want to get to the good stuff, right? But friends, this is the good stuff. Because in this list chock full of patriarchs, Matthew lists the names of five women. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. It turns out Jesus has quite a heritage. I mean, Matthew could have listed Sarah and Rebecca, matriarchs in their own right. But instead, he lists Tamar, who we looked at last week, a, a widow who played the prostitute, and Rahab, who was a, Can a Canaanite prostitute, and Ruth, a Moabite widow, Bathsheba, a widow pregnant by another man, and Mary, a young girl pregnant before marriage. Really, quite the family tree. Jesus, born into this hurting and fractured world, came from a long line of hurting and fractured women. But hurting and fractured isn't the end of their stories. So as we prepare for Jesus this Advent, we are taking a look at these women from Jesus's family tree. And as we seek to discover what she can teach us about the hope of Christmas. So let's push pause today. I mean, not literally, otherwise you won't be able to hear the story. But let's pause and let our hearts settle in on the grace that pain is never the end of our story. Jesus changes all of that forever. 
I don't know about you, but at Christmas time, I know there's lots of people uh, that love watching Hallmark movies, my mom being one of them. Hi, mom. You know the plot in the, these Hallmark movies. You know, Mrs. Sweet, now single, leaves lost behind and moves back home, and she's working really hard to make a new life. And then she meets Mr. Everything You Could Ever Want, uh, who pledges true love and becomes her happily ever, ever after. I mean, what is it about these movies that keeps people coming back over and over again? Is it the rescue, the perfect man, or maybe it's the true love? Well, these are all of the elements in the story of Ruth, the third unlikely woman named in Jesus's family tree. But Ruth's story is so much more than a great romance. Why is Ruth in the genealogy of Jesus? Well, let's take a deeper look. If you do have a Bible, you can turn with me to the book of Ruth. If not, feel free just to listen along as I'll be reading parts of the story together. And as you're turning there, just a fun fact. We love doing fun facts in our family. Um, there's only two books in the Bible who are named after women. I've already given you the answer to one. It's Ruth. Do you know the answer to the other one? Yeah, it, it's Esther. And Ruth is the only book in the Old Testament named after someone who is not Jewish. So we know from the start that this story is unique. And so we begin this story in Ruth chapter 1. And friends, this is the word of God. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, the story of Ruth is most likely set in the time of the book of Judges, right in the middle of the book of Judges. Now, if you know anything about the book of Judges, it was a very dark time. And actually, it talks about in Judges how they were basically doing everything that was right in their own eyes. It was just not a good time. And on top of that, there is now a famine in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem actually means house of bread. So it's kind of ironic that the house of bread has no bread. And as a result of that, this man has to leave his town and he ends up going to Moab. Now, as soon as we hear the term Moab, we need to realize that this is not just a foreign land geographically. Moab is also a foreign land spiritually and historically. Because if you remember back in Genesis 19, uh, the Moabites began when Lot had an incestuous relationship with his daughter. Now, the Moabites were an outcast people from the very beginning. Then they resisted the Israelites in the book of Numbers when the Israelites were trying to pass through their land. And also the women of Moab actually seduced Jewish men into sexual immorality and idolatry, which resulted in 24,000 Jewish people dying. They worshiped false gods. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 23, God said, no Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. So they were an accursed people. So for a Jewish man to go to Moab was shameful to say the least. It was basically like he was turning his back on God. Yet here God chose to weave the story of a young Moabite girl 
into the story of his son. Verse 2 in chapter 1. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So there it is. In a matter of three verses, you have ten years of torrential tragedy. Elimelech's two sons married Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. But in the space of 10 years, Elimelech died and then both of his sons. I mean, one loss would be crushing, but all three together must have been unbearable. Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth, all childless and all widows. Three shattered hearts left utterly desolate by life. And the pain of loss touched every part of their lives their hopes, and their dreams. I mean, to be widow and childless in our world is unimaginable. In their world, it meant unmitigated vulnerability and poverty. So Naomi decides to return to Bethlehem. She has nothing now for Orpah or Ruth, and she urges them to go back to their pagan families. Orpah left but Ruth refused to abandon Naomi. And so in the middle of the tears, Naomi says in verse 15, see your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Now the stage is set for one of the most memorable speeches in the Bible. Beauty, courage, commitment, devotion, love and loyalty all wrapped up into one. Listen now to what Ruth says back to Naomi, her mother-in-law. Verse 16. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. Wow, what a, what a speech back to her mother-in-law. And I find it interesting that these words, these powerful words are actually often used in wedding vows. They're really a, a powerful and incredible picture of commitment. So if you've used them in your wedding, that, that's great. But the reality is, this is a daughter-in-law speaking to her mother-in-law. Now, Do you know what I've never seen at a wedding or heard? A bride speaking like this to her future (laughs) mother-in-law. I've just never seen it or heard it. But in this single moment, Ruth forsakes everything. Her homeland, her people, her gods, her religion, her safety, her everything to go with Naomi. And so both Ruth and Naomi now return back to Bethlehem, and they return just as the barley season is starting. And so Ruth wants to be helpful to her mother-in-law, so she goes out to glean barley. 
And what that meant is they, when they would harvest, there would be things that would fall down that they didn't pick up and people would come behind and glean that. They would pick up the leftovers and take it home. And so Ruth providentially happens to go into a field owned by a guy, guy by the name of Boaz. He was a gracious, generous businessman, and he was a relative of Elimelech, who was Naomi's deceased husband. So Boaz inquires a little bit. He learns that this new gleaner is Ruth the Moabitess and promises her protection as she gleans. And actually, he tells some of his people to let, let some of the grain down so that she can collect even more. So Ruth is collecting all of this grain. She goes home with like tons of grain. And Naomi's like, girl, where are you working? Like, obviously somebody likes you because there's no way you should be collecting all this stuff. And so Ruth tells her that she's working for a man named Boaz. And Naomi goes nuts. Chapter 2, verse 20, she says, Oh, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So Boaz was more than a relative. Boaz was a kinsman or a family redeemer, the Gaal. So under Jewish law, the Gaal was a close relative responsible for rescuing or restoring a childless widow through marriage. And as a sign, the Redeemer would spread over his cloak over the woman to show his promise uh, to take her under his wing of protection. So Naomi knows all of this. So she goes into matchmaker mode. So basically, she brings Ruth over and is like, Ruth, here's what we're going to do. First of all, you need to take a bath because you stink. We're going to get you nice clothes. We're going to get you all dolled up. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the threshing floor when Boaz is sleeping at night. And what I want you to do is I want you to lift up the cover at the end of his, by his feet and lay down and wait for him for his instruction. So Ruth does that. She gets all dressed up. She goes in the middle of the night and she lays down. And Boaz, when he awoke, he sees that Ruth is there and he says, has this, re and she has this request. And this is what Ruth says in chapter three, verse nine. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So long story short, they get married and they have a son. Eventually they have a son. In chapter four, verse 17, they named him their son, Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. The father of David? Wait, what? So you're saying Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David? Wow, that just took things to a whole new level, didn't it? This got real. Do you realize what just happened here? God just used a Moabite woman in an otherwise hopeless Israelite family to bring about the future king of Israel. It's amazing. And the book of Ruth ends with what? You guessed it, a list. Those things we like to skip over, don't we? So I'm going to read it, and I want you to count with me how many generations are mentioned here in verse 18 of chapter 4. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Abinadad. 
Amidadad fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Did you count them? How many were there? 10 generations. Think about the 10 years of death and sorrow in Moab in the beginning of this story. Think about how Israelite law said that no Moabite shall be welcome in the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. The book ends with 10 generations from Perez. And this book that began with, in the days when the judges ruled, it ends with the introduction of Israel's most famous king. I mean, isn't that incredible? I mean, why would God want to preserve this story for thousands of years? And what in the world does it have to do with us today? Well, this story is part of a much, much bigger story that involves you right where you are sitting today. I want you to think about this word redeemer that we've seen throughout this entire story. This person who pays a price to provide for someone, particularly someone in need. This whole story hinges on three requirements of a redeemer. Now, in order to redeem, first and foremost, one must have the right to redeem. They had to be a near relative. Second, one must have the resources to redeem. A redeemer needed to be able to pay the redemption price. They needed to have the resources to purchase property and to provide for a family. And then third, one must have the resolve to redeem. Now, if you read the story more closely and more deeply, and hopefully if you have time, you can read through this and see this, there was another guy who was actually in line before Boaz. He had the right and the resources to redeem, but he did not have the resolve. It would not be advantageous for him to redeem, so he did not do it. Boaz, though, had all three. He also had the right, the resources, but he had the resolve. Even though it was risky for him to marry a Moabite woman, he took the risk, and he displayed a kind of love that willingly takes risks to provide for someone else. Now, this story doesn't actually end in Ruth chapter 4. Let me show you the next time we see Boaz and the next time we see Ruth in the Bible. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 1 and start with me in verse 5. So in this list of names we read, In Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. So by the way, Boaz's mother was Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute that's mentioned in Joshua chapter 2. Now, do you think that had something to do with why Boaz was so sensitive to the needs of an outcast, despised Moabite woman named Ruth? Interesting. And then it says, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. There they are, Boaz, Obed, and Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. Which is where the book of Ruth ended. But here the names continue. 
all the way down to verse 16, where we read, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Man, if only the Old Testament hearers could have seen where the real end of this story was going. I mean, they would have been sitting in the theater a long time. I mean, this love story hidden away in the Old Testament is intended to point us to a much greater love story highlighted in the New Testament, where we see a picture of our hope and redemption. So friends, don't miss this. The story of Ruth is not ultimately about redemption through a baby born in Bethlehem named Obed. The story of Ruth is ultimately about redemption through a baby born in Bethlehem named Jesus. The story of Ruth ultimately points us to the love of Jesus, our Redeemer. So, what does this story have to do with you and I? Well, Ruth is each of us walking out the curse of this world, unable to rescue ourselves, desperate for love. But friends, that does not have to be the end of your story. Sin and pain and suffering do not have to be the end of your story. Do you know why? Because a redeemer has come and his name is Jesus. We have a Gaal, a redeemer who stepped in to rescue and restore us. So let's ask a few questions. First, does Jesus have the right to redeem us? Absolutely, he does. Jesus is like us in every way. He was born like us. That's the miracle of Christmas. God has come to us in the robe of human flesh, like us, Emmanuel, God with us. He is near to us, our kinsmen. Two, does he have the resources to redeem us? Absolutely, he does. He has perfect power and complete authority over the skies and the sea, over sickness and disease, over COVID, over sin, over suffering, over death and the grave. Without question, Jesus has the resources to redeem us. And three, does he have the resolve to redeem us? Absolutely, he does. See him on the cross where he willingly took the judgment upon himself that you and I deserve, the death upon himself that you and I deserve, as he suffered to pay the redemption price for all of our sins. Friends, this is the love story of all love stories. The baby born in Bethlehem, Jesus has the right, the resources, and the resolve to redeem us. Jesus has done it. Jesus has paid the price for you. He just didn't do it for the person sitting next to you today. He did it for you right where you're sitting. He's paid the price for you, a sinner separated from God, so that you might spend eternity in the family of God. And this means that all who trust in Jesus for redemption have hope. They have hope. Now, I do not know all that you have gone through in your life. And I do not know what you're going through in your life right now. But I do know this, God knows. And he is able to bring you from death to life. 
he is able to bring you from despair to hope, which means that we can trust him in the worst of times, in the days, in the months, in the years, when we may not understand and when we may wonder why. You see, the book of Ruth is not just a story about God's love for one Moabite woman. It is a story about God's love for every single person and every people group on planet Earth. And friends, we have the greatest news to share. There is hope in Jesus, our Redeemer. So friends, let us spread this hope, starting right where we are. Throughout this next week, you and I will have countless opportunities to share hope through the story of Jesus in both word and action, right where God has placed us. Whether it's with our neighbor or with our coworker, or whether it means partnering with Food for the Hungry and supporting a child in need in Ethiopia, or whether it's bringing a non-perishable item to the church this week or even uh, donating money as we begin our food bank drive to help the Calgary Food Bank and all those people in our city in need this Christmas. You can help right now this week. You can check out our website for more information about our food bank and hopefully you can be involved as we spread hope. Because we need to realize that when you and I get involved and we begin to spread hope, God is using our lives to change others' stories. Because don't miss the beauty here. Ruth, she had no idea how her life would be a part of a story so amazing. She was part of a story that was so much bigger than herself. And so are you right now. Some of you have actually never put your trust in Jesus as your Redeemer. And today, you are going to have an opportunity to do that because Jesus has made a way for you to be redeemed. He wants to change your story today forever. And not just your story. He wants to change the stories of others through your life as you spread hope. Because as we discovered with Ruth, I want each of you to realize that God is using your ordinary life to write an extraordinary story. And to each of you, let us hold fast to the hope that we have, even in the hardest of times. Let us hold fast to the hope that we have in Jesus. And let us spend our lives spreading that hope in Calgary and to the ends of the earth. And as we do this together, let us see what God does far beyond what we could imagine. So I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Unless you're listening to this while you're driving, then please don't close your eyes. But just between you and God, just let's pause for a moment. I'm just going to ask you, have, have you trusted in Jesus as your Redeemer? Have you trusted in Jesus to give you new life? To save you from your sin? To give you the hope of eternal life in him? And to lead you as Lord of your life? If the answer is not a resounding yes in your heart, then I want to invite you today to trust in Jesus as Redeemer. 
to see that God has brought you here to this moment for this reason, that you might know his redemption. So I want to invite you to pray, which is simply talking to God wherever you are right now. And just say in your heart, God, I know I'm a sinner, that I've sinned against you and I'm separated from you. But today I believe that you have sought after me. Today I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and that he rose from the grave in victory over sin and death. Today I trust in him as my Lord and my Redeemer. Give me new life in him now and forever. Heavenly Father, you see every heart who called out to you. Thank you for your love for us and specifically for those who are receiving your love personally in this way today. I praise you for drawing them to yourself and drawing so many of us to yourself by your grace. And I pray for every person that they would know your love as Redeemer day after day after day after day. Use us to make this story of hope known to people right around us so that coworkers, neighbors, and family members would come to know the hope of Christ this Christmas. Please, Father, bring it about in our homes, through our online ministry, throughout the churches in Calgary and our world in the days to come. And then next year, 2021, would you use us to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine for the spread of your hope and your glory as our Redeemer here in Calgary and among the nations? We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen. I want to thank you for joining online with us today. And, and if you would like to talk with a pastor, you can go to our website and just fill out the connect with us card. We'd love to be able to uh, touch base with you about any decisions you may have made today or any steps that you would like to take to, to, to grow in your journey of faith. Uh, we would be happy to, to walk with you in that journey. But now as we prepare to go into this week, I encourage you to spread the good news, to spread the good news wherever God has placed you, that there is hope in Jesus, our Redeemer. There is hope in him. And as you spread that hope, receive these words. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.